Welcome to the Podglomerate. You got to get out here and ride it till the wheels fall off because you only get one shot. Just say yes to what's possible in life and tackle it and do it and surround yourself with other people who are just like that. Welcome to Writers Know Right. I'm Jeff. And I'm Kyle. Man, it has been a weird couple weeks. It has. It's been a weird year. In all the worst ways possible, but then occasionally also in like the best ways possible. Well, I mean, I'm not a, a business owner myself yet, but it's been a year of development for both of us, I think. I, I don't even mean necessarily with the business stuff. Although the Podglomerate is thriving, everybody should check us out, thepodglomerate.com. Uh, just, I don't know. Future Unicorn Podglomerate. Future Unicorn, God, if, if I would get like a future donkey, I would be happy. <laughs> Who's on the show this week? Kwame Alexander. I think he might be the first poet we've ever had on. I don't know. It, 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 you, you would know. Is that right? I, it's hard to say. I'm sure other guests that we've had have written poetry. He's the first one who introduced himself as a poet amongst the many other things that he does. He has like 15 jobs. Yeah, he's he's awesome. I, I I have to say, talking to him like was was really fun. He was just like a really cool guy, like uplifting personality. Uh, he he's the kind of guy that I would really like to be friends with. Right, but also makes me feel like I should be doing so much more. Like I'm already overwhelmed, and I he makes me feel like I should be doing about a thousand things more than I already am. Oh, for sure. He just published his twenty eighth book which is why we were talking to him. Uh, he, it's called Swing. Uh, it is a novel in verse. It was awesome. It's like a middle grade book, but I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think a lot of people um, could pick this up, knock it out in an afternoon and, and like walk away feeling really uh, fulfilled. So I, I recommend his work. Um, I don't know. It was just a really interesting conversation. He made fun of me because I, I screwed up a Robert Frost poem. Um, I mean, you, in his defense, you did, you totally botched it. Yeah, I know. And and for you, dear listener, I left all of this in there. I didn't cut it out, so I hope you enjoy That's big it. of you. That's big of you. I don't know if I would have that strength. I mean, we came back to it like 10 times in the conversation, so it would have, <laughs> would have been a lot of work to get rid of. But... But yeah, it was it was good. I, I can't complain. It was uh, a lot of fun. And you can find the rest of his work at KwameAlexander.com. That's K-W-A-M-E. He, he's somebody that if you haven't already heard about, you will at some point soon. So Guaranteed. keep an eye out. Yeah. And uh, let's get to it. Welcome to Writers Don't Write. Today we have Kwame Alexander. How are you, Kwame? I am great. I am wonderful. Thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. Of course. And where are you calling from today? I know that you've been kind of all over the place. I'm presently in my writing studio in Virginia for for probably about 24 hours, but I'm loving it because I've been on the road so much. So it's good to be in this place. You are a poet, a writer, and a literary activist. Is that accurate? Yeah. I'm also a father and a husband and uh, and a lover of, of all things LeBron James. 
<laughs> I, I should have I should have led with the important things. Right, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can you can you explain uh, kind of like what you mean by that? Because I mean, obviously, poetry is is this huge you know piece of American history and everything. But you don't often think of of writers today as poets. And I'm wondering if you could kind of you know explain why you call yourself a poet and and why you think that it's it's an art form that's always been kind of like you know on the fringe of, of publishing. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I guess I'm a poet because I write poetry. Been writing it since I was 12 years old. Um, it's how I, you know, learned how to communicate with the world, listening to poetry that my mom read me, um, whether it was Dr. Seuss or or Langston Hughes. It was, po it was the, the way I communicated um, when I wrote poems as a 12-year-old, just trying to, uh, impress girls or, or or write a poem about my mom for Mother's Day. So poetry has always been this 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 hobby. And after college, it became this job. It became something I thought, well, maybe this is something I can do and make a really good living at. And of course, everybody in my you know circle from family to friends was like, you're delusional. <laughs> you're never going to make money, make a living off of poetry. And I knew that I would, like I felt it in my bones. It was real for me. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't like why I was doing it. I was writing poetry because it felt good. I was writing poetry because I wanted to convey my thoughts about the world and about my place in it. And poetry seemed like the quickest, you know, way to do it and the most powerful way to do it. So I guess I'm a poet because I've been writing poetry since I was 12 years old and, and it's become my job, you know, um, in terms of being an activist, I like to think that it's great to be a writer, but if you don't have anything significant and worthy to write about, then what's the point? Um, and so I try to live a really authentic and, and meaningful life, meaning that I care about making the world a better place. Um, and so I'm an activist in that right. And I, I would imagine that to be a writer in America, especially now, and in particular, let's say over the past hundred years, to be, a Af to be an African-American writer, like you are constantly thinking about what it means to be free or what it means to have freedom. And so that kind of infuses itself in your work. And so I think, you know, if you're black in America, you are, unless you're like consciously, intentionally trying not to be, I think you're, you are political. You are an activist just by the very, you know, nature of your being in this place. I don't know if that answers the question, but. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 it does. It, when one of the biggest things that we notice, uh, it, I mean, this is a personal anecdote, but I went to school, I double majored in writing and English and. I got out of school and the first thing that I realized was, oh man, I don't know what the hell I'm going to write about. Like, I don't have any real specialties in any specific topic. You know, I know like how to construct a sentence and, and, you know, put together an essay or a grant proposal or something, but like, I have to like learn what I'm going to write about before I can actually get out in the world and do it. That's one of the reasons why this show exists, I think, is because talking about publishing and writing and literature as an art form is great, but I mean, it's so much more important to actually go out there and write about something that really like means something to you. 
So I, I'm glad that you said that because it's it's uh, it's refreshing to hear that you know validated from from somebody who's actually gone out and done it. Um, you also, I mean, poetry. I feel like in the last like 20, 30 years has changed. And maybe this is just from my own perspective, but you know, you have like spoken word and you know uh, all the Def Jam stuff, and and it's become like this cool art form now where you can, and I mean, even rap to an extent. Uh, where you know these words are able to like be an entertain entertaining performance as opposed to just you know like Robert Frost like you know the two paths or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and I, I feel like two paths are yeah, two paths are only the most yeah. important form in American literature. But okay, no, I mean, you, <laughs> how you gonna diss Rob, How you gonna diss Robert Frost on this podcast? That's just wrong. It's all I'm, kinds I'm, of wrong. I'm from New Hampshire. I can I can say it. But uh, I mean, I, I love okay. the guy. I grew up oh, reading God. it. But... This is classic. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, when it's I called read, the road, the road not taken, my friend, the road not taken. I, I will, I will go back and read that poem again today <laughs> for you. But I, uh, and you can tell how, how little I know about poetry, but, but what I was going to say is that, you know, like reading your books, it, I, I would, I know it's, it's like a, a poetic novel, I think is what you call it. But I mean, it's a novel it, in verse, a novel in verse it just strikes me that it's, it's a little bit different than, than what you would typically expect when you like, you know, pick up a chat book or something. Yeah. The idea is to try to tell a story, you know, is to create a narrative. Like I believe that poetry is fun and functional. I believe that it's cool and it's complete. I believe that poetry ultimately um, is exciting and engaging, but you got to find that poem. That's going to be that for you. That's going to be accessible that's going to be relatable, that's going to connect with you. And I find that for so many people, you know, our experience, our interaction with poetry is by poems that don't connect with us or poems that we were forced to read or poems that we don't remember. We don't even remember the titles of the poems. And they're like these significant poems, you know, like the road, you know, not take it. Um, and, so, and so the idea is that I wanted to create a story. I felt like if I create a story, an interesting uh, story with the beginning, middle, and end, some some really uh, some, some characters that sort of jumped off the page um, and came alive for the reader, that I felt like young people would really get into it, and you know they would forget that they're even reading verse, that they're reading rhythm and rhyme and figurative language, and it would just become a story and a really cool way to tell it. And so I find that writing novels in verse is a way to remind us all that actually we do love poetry. We just have forgotten it. We've forgotten that we love it. And my job is to remind us. How does writing in verse differ from writing, uh, I guess, traditionally, where everything is not in verse? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it. the biggest deal is when you're writing prose, you you can essentially write you know a novel for instance you you can essentially write sixty thousand seventy thousand words and so any word that you you know want to use you can use in poetry it's not you can only use the the right words like you can't use every word the idea is to be as concise as possible poetry is more is is as much about the spaces between the lines and between the words as it is about the words in the line and so that white space is really important I feel like it's a 
a spiritual journey that the reader is going to take. And so poetry is the right words in the right order. But it seems like that would be increasingly difficult to do as you get farther on in the novel, just to, to be able to keep the flow going for that long, for 60 to 70,000 words. I mean, it, writing a regular novel seems hard enough. That seems like a, an insane degree of difficulty to add on top of. Well, the beauty of a, no, of a novel in verse is that it's not 60 or 70,000 words. It's maybe 15 or 20 or 25,000. Because again, yeah, oh, okay. not, you don't have to use all the words. But yes, to answer your question, it is difficult. It is, it is challenging to only be able to use a few words, you know, or a few lines. You really got to be careful. You, got, you have to be thoughtful. Um, and you have to know how to craft a poem. So, yeah, it's challenging and difficult, but it's, you know, it's something I love. And I feel like, you know, it's, in a way, it's the way that kids talk, the way they communicate. They're concise. They're sort of rhythmic. They're already using figurative language. I feel like it's a, we have a direct line to poetry if we can just sort of get past this word poetry and sort of all the connotations that it has. So when you're writing and you're in the middle of a verse, how often do you find yourself stopping to try and reconnect to keep the flow going? Like how often do you find yourself just at a loss waiting for the next part of the verse? You ever seen LeBron play? Yes. How often when he's going to the to the to the lane, when he's driving to the basket for a dunk, like how often does he stop? Like sure at the beginning of the play, he's dribbling they're passing, they're trying to figure it out. But once he gets the ball and you see his eyes connect with that basket and you see his legs sort of rev up and you see that hustle like just pumping out of his veins and he takes off, he doesn't stop. Jordan didn't stop. Like they don't stop. And so the, the idea is once you get into the rhythm of the line or the rhythm of the poem, nah, you don't really stop once you're in the rhythm. No, I was going to say, I think the difference, though, is something that we come across a lot, which is writing is not a team sport. It's you in a room by yourself for the most part, having sometimes years of experience with a piece of work that only exists to you before it goes out into the world and is judged. And the difference between what you do and what LeBron does is that there's no one between you and the basket. And after you dunk it, you have to pick it up and dunk it again. So that's really, that's really interesting. That's like a that's a really interesting way to look at it. I would respectfully disagree and say that it is a team sport for me. And I'll say it metaphorically and literally. Literally, dude, I am in a room writing with other writers all the time. I cannot write by myself. I need to, I really? need to be with other people. I built, when I wrote the crossover, I went to Panera Bread every day to write for five hours. <laughs> and the deal was I needed to be around people. I needed to eavesdrop. I needed to talk. I needed to listen. I needed to watch. I needed to observe. And so I wrote it in Panera Bread over, over the course of five years, five hours a day. And, and, and wow. in November, I built a writing studio. Yeah, I built it so I could be at home working on my novels and books. But I also built it so my writing friend could come over and we could write together. So I believe that it's a team sport in this for me in the sense that I like to be surrounded by a tribe. I like to I like to sort of, you know, be inspired by people who who are like-minded, who are creative thinkers and and I like to bounce ideas off of them. Um metaphorically, 
when you're writing a novel, I just finished a novel called Swing, which comes out October the 2nd. And there are two main characters and and two sort of secondary characters who play a significant role in the book. So you got four of them and you got me. And when the writing gets good, you're no longer by yourself. The characters live inside of you. They're telling you, yo, I can't do that. I wouldn't do that. Or why didn't why don't you have me do this? Or I'm sorry, Kwame, but this is going to have to happen. And that sounds really kind of corny, maybe or weird. But it happens when the writing gets good. The characters move in. They, they have dinner with you. They live with you. You channel them. And it's and it's a it's a community experience. So I would say for me, that's what it is. It is that kind of team sport. So you've created your own team, essentially. Basically, that's cool. And I Man, and I and I am the king. I mean, it's it's nice <laughs> that you brought that into a physical space too, because so often, uh, you know, due to constraints of of all sorts, people are using like Google Docs or emails or that kind of thing. Do you think that there's a, like a big difference to doing that like in person with your friends as opposed to you know communicating via all of these different uh, like engines online? Absolutely. Just that tactile, man, that face-to-face, being able to, to sit in a room of maybe maybe about two months ago, the beginning of the summer, myself, um, picture book author Anne-Marie Stevens, uh, a novelist Mary Rand Hess, and a poet named Van Garrett. We all went to a, a friend's river house for four days, and we sat around all day writing. Every now and then, someone would share uh, we'd give feedback. Um, uh, we'd go out and eat. We'd sort of, hey, what do you think about this idea? Man, just having that sort of community of writerly folks who who inspire you, it also holds you accountable, guys. Like it makes sure, like if you're going to write, if you say you're a writer, you got to write. And you're now, you're accountable to yourself ultimately, but you have these other people in this room with you. Who, who have an expectation that you're going to produce something because that's what you're all, that's, that's the commonality, that's the common bond between the four of you. And so you, you do. Um, Van, three of us had written children's books. Van Garrett had never written a children's book. He had written a bunch of poetry. And so we sort of challenged him to take his voice and, and create a poem that could be a children's picture book. And, you know, we, we gave him some inspiration. We all talked. We, we, we listened to him. And, we, and then we sent him off. We said, now go write. You got an hour and a half to produce a poem about sneakers. And you can see the big sneaker fan. And, uh, and, and he, he went off. And we sat around talking, doing our thing. 90 minutes later, he came back and read this 41-line poem called Kicks that was off the chain. And, and, we, and we just loved it. And we gave him some feedback. He rewrote it. Today is August the 16th. Um, on August the 2nd or August the 1st, he got an offer from Houghton Mifflin uh, Harcourt for a children's picture book for that wow. poem. So my deal is, man, like you cannot write. I don't think you can be a writer and not write. Like the idea is you got to write and you got to surround yourself with people who are going to encourage and inspire and uplift you. 
but that requires you to be around people who are encouraging, inspiring, and uplifting. You can certainly find yourself being around people who just talk and who aren't necessarily writers in the sense that they understand that you got to write. If I had to adjust the title of the show, it would be more closely aligned to writers <laughs> who don't publish. Uh, because I think it's safe to say that we both write. Right. Uh, but it is not entirely safe at all to say that we show that we then show what we've written to other people. But it seems like that hasn't often been a problem for you. I think that the biggest piece that we've learned in, in what and our listeners want to kill us, I bet, because we say this every single episode. But I think that the biggest piece is that you actually have to like go and do the work. And like, you know, you shouldn't really worry. We just we interviewed uh, a woman yesterday who will be on the show in a couple of weeks. And her big like takeaway was, you know, yeah, you can be nervous about what people read and read into. But I mean, it, it's not an issue until you actually sit down and write the thing. Like once it's written, you can you can tweak what you need to tweak and and you know, make things ambiguous if you need to make them ambiguous, but it doesn't matter if you haven't actually done something and, and, and created something. So, I mean, I, one of my questions for you, Kwame, is that you, uh, you know, you said that you wrote your first poem when you were 12 and now you're presumably older than 12. Uh, I mean, what, what is, has happened like in between that made this so that you can be a full-time writer who's traveling the world, talking to students about, uh, you know, reading and writing? Well, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm a 20, 26 year overnight success. <laughs> and I mean, the deal is I just stuck with it. I mean, I don't necessarily think I'm doing anything different than I did when my first book came out or my 15th book came out. Like I still have the same driving force. I've learned a lot more. Um, but I think the big thing that sort of changed from a professional standpoint, my career, and allowed me to be able to be a full-time writer and, and make a living as a poet is the Newbery Medal. And, you know, and, uh, and, and that happened in 2015. So that sort of changed the Tra trajectory of my career, I like to say, I tell people all the time, for the first 23 years of my writing career, I was a jet plane on a runway. And each year I would, the plane would get faster and faster. It would never take off in my eyes, but I was just speeding up. And there were, there were planes in front of me who were taking off. Uh, there were planes behind me who were waiting and I was just waiting my turn but all the while speeding up. And so when I got the call that I had won the Newbery Medal, it was my turn, the plane took off. But it was the same plane, it was the same passengers, the same pilot, I just was 30,000 feet in the air now. And it was a new kind of normal um, that allowed me to do a lot of these things that you're now talking about, which I was doing before, but so like maybe I did 10 school visits in a year in 2006, whereas in 2015, I did 277. Wow. So, so yeah, but it's, it's the same deal, man. I feel like it's the same deal. You, you put in the work and you keep putting in the work. And I can't tell you how many people that were in my circle over these past 26 years who, who, who just got tired because it, you can get tired. It's, it's, that's, that's a rational sort of thing who got disillusioned, who, 
who just didn't, who were lazy, who just didn't put in the work consistently for whatever reason. And of course, like uh, to use another basketball sort of axiom, um, as Michael Jordan says, you're going to miss 100% of the shots you never take. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's uh, it's something that we run into all the time. Um, but I guess, you know, not to not to bring it back to this, but I mean, so many of so much of I mean, we've been talking this whole time about like these pieces that like we didn't write because we were afraid of like offending someone or because we didn't think we had it in us or something. I mean, does that exist for you? Do you have a story that you've always struggled to tell that you haven't been able to? No, nah, that's why I, I told Carmen, I said, I'm not sure why you guys have me on the podcast. I'm like, I'm antithetical to the whole thing. Well, that's great. Like, I mean, that's that, that's the I'm inspiration the we want, you know? <laughs> I'm completely unafraid and fearless to write anything that I want to write. Now, are there some things that I don't want to write about? Heck yeah. And I probably <laughs> never will. Um, like some stuff just too personal, like, okay. So if I were to, if I were to sort of take a leap and and suggest to you a story that I want to tell that I haven't, and I've struggled, maybe it's my memoir, maybe, or not my memoir. Maybe it's a memoir. It's a part of my life talking about, um, certainly talking about my writerly life. I can tell you everything, but maybe the personal, maybe I don't want to go into all the personal stuff. You know, and so how much of that do I infuse in this creative nonfiction piece, this memoir about my writing life? So maybe that's a struggle. Um, and maybe I'll get get over it at some point. Maybe I won't. But I don't spend a whole lot of time stressing about it or worrying about it. I just move on and write, you know, sort of the thing that I want to work on at the moment. And. Kids will always ask me in schools when I go, they're like, Mr. Alexander, how do you deal with writer's block? And I tell them, well, if you're driving down the street and there's a a, a block in the middle of the road, what do you do? And they say, well, you go around it. I or say, if exactly. you're Teddy Roosevelt, so you go over it. If there's something happening. <laughs> right. And so I just tell people all the time, I just, I just put it aside. If there's something I don't want to write for whatever reason or can't, can't get in the rhythm, I put it aside and I work on something else. I don't spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out why. And eventually, 10 times out of 10, guys, I come back to it and I get to it. <laughs> I told you guys I'm the wrong guy for this podcast. I don't so I don't think that's necessarily <laughs> true, though, because you seem to have developed the perfect strategy. Gotcha. You're the, you're the exception that proves the rule. Yep. Well, I appreciate that. So, so I mean, since since you you can't tell us about something that you haven't written, why don't you tell us about Swing? Well, I could tell you about this book that I I, I have a contract for, and it's about a boy who's twelve years old, and he he likes a girl, and his cousin likes the same girl, and his cousin's bullying him, and his cousin can beat him in everything, all kinds of activities, and finally. He discovers something that he thinks he can beat his, his cousin in. It's swimming. And so he's practicing every night and he's swimming and he challenges his cousin and everybody's going to come to this big swim, swim off they have. They live, they live near the ocean. Um, and the girl he likes, he thinks this will be the thing that shows her that he's really the guy for her. And he's practicing one night. His, his family tells him he can't go out at night. 
this bad things happen, but he goes out one night, like around nine or 10 o'clock and he ends up getting kidnapped. And of course, this is, this story takes place in Ghana, West Africa, and this is the beginning of slavery. And this kid, this 12 year old kid being, being taken across the middle passage to America. And so I've started writing that about five or six times. And every time I'm reading and researching and traveling, I just get depressed. It's the hardest subject to write about. And so that would be a book that I look forward to writing. I'm excited about writing. And it's a struggle because it's so freaking sad and hard and tragic. And what makes you want to keep coming back to that story? Um, it's probably the most important story um, to me, like how how Africans got here, what they what they did when they got here, how they how they survived, like how they survived the brutality and the, and the tragedy of it all. And being able to tell that story <clears throat> for my 10 year old, to be able to write a story um, of, of resilience for my 10 year old, I feel like is important. Um, and the other thing about it is when we think about African-Americans, we, we, when we think about the history of African-Americans, generally it starts with slavery. Like I'm intrigued about writing a story that, that takes place before slavery. Like what were the kids like who lived in some of these villages in West Africa? Did they just have normal lives? Of course they did. Well, what did they eat? Who did they hang out with? Did they have sibling rivalries? Like, I feel like let's, Let's find out those stories. So the story is really intriguing for me, and I can't wait to write it. But it is going to be, has been, the hardest story I've ever written. How long have you been coming back to it for? Uh, I want to say maybe a couple years. But again, I don't spend a whole lot of time stressing out about it, because eventually I know I'm going to get to it. But and I, <laughs> and each time I get back to it, I get a little bit further. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't stress about it. So the secret, it seems is relentless optimism. <laughs> <laughs> relentless. <laughs> Look, let me say it like this. I am a say yes person, man. All right. L life is way too short. My mom passed away September 1st, 2017. And it's the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. And the thing it reminded me of, and she lived a full life. Like, I don't think she could have done anything else. The thing it reminded me of is, dude, you got to hug life. You got you to gotta get out here and ride it till the wheels fall off because you only get one shot. So just say yes to what's possible in life and tackle it and do it and surround yourself with other people who are just like that. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself, you know, you're going to find yourself at the end of this whole journey and and uh, and there's no turning back then. So relentless optimism, say yes, hug life. Yeah, whatever it is, I'm just trying to have fun, man. <laughs> and with that, everybody should read Kwame Alexander. I, I honestly, it was, I had so much fun reading your books. Uh, and I, I hope everybody gives them a shot. You have 28 books. Is that true? 28 books with Swing, which comes out October 2nd 
which is about baseball, jazz music, and social justice. So yeah, that'll be book number 28. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Pro prolific doesn't even do you justice. That's that's wild. Thank you so much for, for joining us. This was a real pleasure. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Writers who don't write, I will leave you with this. The road not taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And you'll have to Google it to read the rest of it and get the title right, guys. <laughs> I promise. Uh, two Pats or whatever by Robert There Frost. you go. Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks a lot, oh, guys. Man. This has been an episode of Writers Who Don't Write. I'm Jeff. The other voice that you heard on this interview is Kyle. You can find us online at thepodglomerate.com. That's the network that we're a part of. There's about 15 other shows that you would really, really enjoy, I hope, uh, on thepodglomerate.com uh, or the Podglomerate website, or you can search the Podglomerate on Spotify or TuneIn or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're looking. Uh, and if you need some time to fill in between the next episode, pick a show. Let us know what you think. You can find us on social media at WWDW Podcast. We're mostly on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, but you know you can find us pretty much wherever. Uh, you can email the show at wwwpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions. If you want to suggest a guest, if you want to tell Kyle that he stinks, uh, just you know hit us up. We love hearing from our listeners. It happens more often than you would think, but less than we want. Uh, the music that you heard at the top and the bottom of the hour is from Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. The music that you heard in the middle of the show is from Ben Sound of bensound.com. We want to thank Kwame Alexander for being a guest on the show today. Uh, you can find him and his 28 books at kwamealexander.com. Seriously, he's amazing. You should check it out. Uh, you can, you know, if you have a kid or something, you could probably get Kwame to come to his or her school. His latest is a book called Swing, which you can get wherever books are sold. Uh, we really appreciate you spending the last hour with us and tune in in two weeks where we have a really fun interview. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's a big deal. Pod Glomer, a sonic universe.